Praise the Lord, everyone. Thankful to see you all here. I'm thankful to be here myself. Um, I would like us to open with prayer and we will have an offering. So let's continue to remember our pastor's wife. And I know that among us, we all know someone who is in need. So um, let's have that, have that in our mind. Let's tell God when we take that need to prayer corporately, even if we don't take the time to name them all individually, tell God when we join together here in just a minute what that need is. Uh, I've got needs in my own family that I learned about just today, and I'm going to just turn it over to God and keep trusting him to have his hand in all of it like he has had already this week. So let's all just stand. Lord, you are great. You are mighty. It is such an honor and a privilege to call you friend, to call you savior, to know you personally, to know what it means to understand what the plan of salvation is, to live it, to have it in our hearts, to have the blood applied to our lives through baptism. I thank you for all of that, God. I thank you, Lord, because you died on the cross and took pain and agony so that we could be healed and saved. And there are those in need of healing, Jesus. There are those in need of salvation and rescue and redemption that only you can provide. And we bring those to you tonight, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, because you know the need before we ask it. But when we ask it and claim it in faith, then that activates the miracles even more. So I just trust you to do the work, to do the miracles. All the glory is going to be to you. Lord, I ask that you anoint us in this room tonight. And in all of our breakout sessions, I ask that you just dwell in our midst. There are more than enough of us gathered that you are willing to dwell in our midst when we agree together. And I just thank you for that privilege too. Anoint our ears and hearts and minds tonight. Unite us, Lord. God, I ask you to anoint our offering as we march in a moment. And just be with us and help us to learn and soak in your word. And to grow in truth in Jesus' name. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. You are mighty God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So if you have an offering, uh, feel free to march up. And otherwise, you may be seated unless you are um, a service person, a veteran, active or in active service. If you are a veteran, would you please stand? I'm going to sit down in a moment, and so my mouth's going to be closer to the microphone if that helps any. But do we have any veterans in our, in our room with us tonight? Well, if you know a veteran, I'd like us to just take a moment and clap in honor of Veterans Day because we are thankful for those who are willing to serve and we are grateful for the freedom that they protect every day. So pastor's spoiling me with this little chair. Um, 
you may or may not know that our family was involved in a car accident on Sunday, and we are blessed to say we walked away from it, but um, I hadn't quite 100% bounced back to my normal, off-the-wall, energetic person, so I'm thankful to be here, but I'm also thankful I get to sit down. I hope that doesn't offend anybody. (laughs) And um, we are here for lesson two in A Christian Life. So tonight we are going to talk about a life of joy. Last week we started kind of with an overview of what we were even talking about, Christian and and living a Christian life, because we talked about the definition of Christian as following Jesus Christ or being Christ-like. And um, we used the words of Jesus and his disciples from the Bible and then also a book called Spiritual Disciplines that includes teachings from a variety of apostolic ministers and teachers that were compiled together to give some principles of living a Christian life through discipline. And we've borrowed from all those topics, and we sort of said that we were going to talk over the three weeks about how a Christian life is a life of freedom, a life of joy, and a life of service. So last week, we talked about freedom from sin through salvation, freedom from judgment through forgiveness, and freedom from earthly desires through fasting. Tonight, I want us to take a little bit of time and talk about a Christian life being a life of joy. And we'll use the same sources, the Bible, including the words of Jesus again, and his followers while he was on earth during his earthly ministry and after his earthly ministry, after he had already been crucified and resurrected and the gospel was spreading and then we'll still borrow from those modern day ministers as well to explore how Christian living brings joy and how we exercise that joy through worship. So we're going to explore how Christian living brings joy through worship joy through prayer And meditation. So fill in the blank one is worship. And I'm, I'm hoping that as we go through tonight, we may offer some new definitions for these words than what you might automatically think of when you hear worship or meditation. Joy through prayer and meditation and joy through suffering. Those are kind of contradictions, aren't they? Joy through suffering and waiting. Waiting, yes. And I said waiting, because I am not always patient. (laughs) Waiting is not my favorite thing to do. I think the most important thing that I want to distinguish and, and kind of get separated, because I had to do it for me, is to start with saying joy is a perspective or a point of view, not a personality. So when, when we go into the Word and we see how joy is discussed in the Bible, we're not talking about a personality. We're going to say joy is a perspective or point of view not a personality. 
being joyful isn't the same as being jovial or cheerful or hyper or always cracking jokes or always the life of the party. Joyful is going to be something different as we look into God's word. I, I know a lot of you could immediately think of somebody in our church that could be on either end of a personality scale in terms of crazy, happy, cracking jokes, bouncing off the walls all the time, or calm and quiet and serene. But if you knew how that person lived and how they believed, you would know without a doubt they're full of joy, both those people. Like, I think of Sister Judy Dumas as a calm, quiet, joyful lady. And I think of Brother Patrick Millars as a wacko, loud, boisterous, <laughs> joyful gentleman. <laughs> but the, the joy is not their personality or their outgoing or their shy or, you know, the opposite of shy. Um, it, it's about something that's much more about just how you view the world and how you use your salvation and exercise joy and practice it. So last week, we used the Gospel of Matthew for the words of Jesus, and we will use Matthew as well this week. But I want us to start in the book of John. And beginning in chapter 13... Jesus is with his disciples at the Last Supper. And what, what was that event? What was the Last Supper? Why was that significant? I mean, I, I capitalized it, but it, it was the last time he was with the disciples before he went to the cross. And it was part of a celebration that was already in place for the Jewish people, which was the Feast of the Passover. They might have been getting together anyway, but... At that particular moment, Jesus knew that it was his last time to be with those followers. Remember last week we talked about those followers of Christ that gave up everything to follow him, to be Christian, even though they weren't using that word Christian at that time. They had given it all up. So it was the Passover meal he shared with his closest followers right before he was crucified on the cross for all of our sins and then rose from the grave for all of our salvation and our eternal resurrection, our hope and glory. So the last chance that he had to, to give them something that they could use when he was gone. And the conversation in those chapters, beginning in chapter 13 in John, you can tell the disciples don't really get it. Because Jesus is telling them, okay, I'm fixing to leave you. I'm giving you these last golden nuggets, these last pearls of instruction. And they're saying, what now? You're, you're, you're going to do what now? And it, just that conversation, all, all of the disciples that would ask a question and then Jesus would come back with another little mini sermonette and then another one would ask a question, but, ha, but ha, what do you mean? And that I love reading through that because... They had a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, they, you know, they were with him every day. And they saw him as a friend that they got to see do the miraculous. But he was still their friend. He, he, they walked with him. And they 
worked for him and worked alongside him. And maybe they had the kind of friendship relationship that they cracked jokes. I mean, I don't know. The Bible doesn't necessarily record all of those kinds of things. But this was just like they were all sitting around having a meal and to, to read how their conversation went is really fascinating to me because I wonder, you know, they, they like I've, I've said, I'm not really sure they had any idea of how important it would be to listen to the words of Jesus that night um, because they really weren't clear on what was about to happen. But because Jesus needed to make the atmosphere right and he needed to make himself right and he needed to give them an example before he started talking with them he washed their feet he made himself their servant before he ever started teaching them so to talk about those last words of wisdom he was imparting Jesus made sure he wasn't arrogant about it Jesus made sure he he wasn't saying okay this is what you've been waiting for this is what you're what you paid your money to hear. No, he said, I I need to humble myself. I need to give you an example of how to be when I'm gone. And he washed their feet. And then he actually identified his betrayer as Judas Iscariot. That was part of the conversation because he said, not all of you are clean. One of you is going to betray me. And they were like, who, now what? And then he said, well, the person that I give this sop to will be the betrayer. And then he identified Judas Iscariot by giving the sop to him and Judas Iscariot left the room. And so the ones that were left received some of the last words Jesus would ever speak in that, in that series of lessons and instruction. He told them that he would leave them, but that the comforter would come in the Holy Ghost. John 14 and 26. He told them to love multiple times in those chapters in John. He, he told them in different ways, love as the Father has loved. Love others as you love yourself. Show love. And he said, keep the Father's commandments. John 14 and 15, John 14 and 21. He told them how to have joy to the fullest. In John 15, 1 through 13. So that's why I I wanted us to start with a little bit of look into that Last Supper conversation. Because if those folks who were the very first examples of Christians that we can see, because they gave it all up to follow Christ, they got to sit at the dinner table with Jesus and hear Jesus tell them, this is how you have joy. In verses 15, chapter 15, verses 10 through 12 specifically, Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. If you keep my commandments, then you'll have my joy, and it will be your joy, and it will be full, 
and here's the commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Okay, we're done. <clears throat> no, not really. Y'all know y'all got lots of pages. But, I mean, at the at beginning and end of it, show love to others the way Jesus showed love to us. He, he says it in more specific terms. Greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. That's the way Jesus loved us. He laid down his life. So to have his joy, we have to be willing to sacrifice. And that's why we're going to talk about joy through worship, because we're going to identify how worship includes sacrifice. And we're going to talk about joy through um, prayer and meditation, because that's how we get more instruction on the ways that we should love. And then joy through suffering and waiting has its, its own set of, of benefits, pluses and minuses. When Jesus was at the Last Supper, he also warned his disciples that there would be suffering. He told them there would be times of waiting that they would endure. In John 16, he let them know that he was giving them instructions now so that they could remember them in the future when things weren't so great. Chapter 16, verse 1, he said that, that you should not be offended, but be aware that they're going to kick you out of the synagogues. So he was warning them that just because you keep my commandments and love as I have loved you and have my joy and it's full joy, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be peach keen, ice cream and sprinkles all the way through. You're still going to have suffering. So I'm just telling you now, while you have me with you, please listen to what I have to say. But then he kept going in that chapter 16 and went on to give that hope and promise again. So he kind of did the, the bad news sandwich is what we call it at work. He gave them all the good stuff. You're going to have my joy. You're going to have my joy. Oh, then you're going to have suffering. Oh, but then there's going to be good stuff, good stuff. You know, that's if you have bad news to deliver, you tell them something good, and then you tell them something bad, and then you tell them something good again. So Jesus' bad news sandwich version came back around at the end of chapter 16 and says, Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour is come. And he's talking about a woman in labor who's giving birth. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow. He was letting them know he was about to leave them. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. So before we go a little deeper into some of the information about how we exercise joy, I wanted us to understand how Jesus presented joy to those disciples, those that inside club, those men that gave up everything to follow him while he was walking among those who needed to hear his word while he was on earth. 
the joy that he's talking about when he says, my joy, he's not saying you're going to have my personality or you're going to have my outlook on life. He's saying you're going to have me because that joy comes from what? The Holy Ghost. Last week, when we talked about freedom from sin through salvation, the Holy Ghost is Jesus in us. It's God who put himself in flesh to walk on the earth and then died for us so that he could return as the Holy Ghost that we could have as part of salvation. So this joy comes from having the Holy Ghost. He abides in us is what John chapter 15 and verse 4 says. So last week we talked about how to get the joy through salvation. But getting the joy is just the beginning because we're supposed to do something with it. We're not supposed to just have it and be glad we have it and and not ever do anything else, you know, just like sitting on all the treasure in the world. What good's it going to do you? You're just sitting on it. We're supposed to have the joy and then use it for two reasons. We need it to sustain us through ups and downs of life. So having the joy is for our benefit, but then we're also supposed to use that joy to show God to others consistently. If we're going to live a life of joy, We've got to do it in ways that make it clear that joy is not personality. I I do get folks telling me all the time at work that they can tell I love Jesus because I'm happy. And, And I'm glad that they see me happy, but I'm working on ways that I can come back and say, I want you to know that I love Jesus because there's times I'm not happy, but I still want to tell you about Jesus anyway. And I want to tell you about his goodness no matter what. And, and so I don't want folks to confuse my tendency to be bouncy and happy and crack jokes as the joy from the Holy Ghost. Because it's, it's a very different thing. And um, it, so I'm, I'm working on ways to make sure that my witness is clear. Because... What gives me joy is my relationship. If we're going to live a life of joy, we've got to do it in ways that make it clear that joy is not personality, but demonstration of our relationship with God through our salvation in Jesus Christ. So that's why our, our subtopics tonight are joy through worship, like we're showing our joy through our worship, not because of our worship, if I'm making sense. The use of the word through is like, that's how we're showing it. Joy through worship, joy through prayer and meditation. We're exercising that joy and then joy in the midst of or joy through suffering and waiting, not because of, but we, we don't lose it when those things happen or we exercise it and, and show it to others as we worship and pray and study God's word through meditation.
How we doing? Everybody? We good? Okay. So, joy through worship. Worship is sacrifice. Obedience. And activity. So there's three blanks there. None of them said singing or clapping or dancing or running. Worship is sacrifice, obedience, and activity. And a whole lot of where we're getting our definition of worship tonight is from the Old Testament. The Old Testament demonstration and, and, and examples of worship are the ones I'm using because they didn't, um, they didn't include asking God for something. They, they, the, the illustrations of sacrifice and obedience, like Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac, it, it was just, that's what you were supposed to do. I'm, I'm a child of God, and this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to sacrifice. I'm supposed to do what God says. I'm supposed to do it even if it doesn't make sense. And I'm not necessarily supposed to do it because I'm asking him for something or expecting something from him. And that's that truest worship, when the sacrifice and the obedience is because that's how much we love God, and that's just how much we want to show him that we love him, and it doesn't matter what we get in return, that is this concept of worship that we're going to exercise our joy. When we sacrifice something that we need or want, it becomes worship. Sacrifice something that we need or want. Time, possessions, money, dreams. <laughs> what if our sacrifice is, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here and serve you in this building instead of going over here where it looks like I have an earthly opportunity. I mean, what, what if we're sacrificing a dream? Um, what if we want to stay here and we want to be around family, but we're going to sacrifice that dream and say, I'll go to the mission field. You know, giving up something that you need or want might be material or it might be something you can't touch, but it's a sacrifice. We're obedient to God and to what God tells us to give up, even when it makes no sense. So again, back to Abraham's sacrifice. It didn't make any sense. God said, go up there and sacrifice. And, and he said, where's the lamb? And God said, don't worry, I'll send the lamb. And it just didn't make any sense to go all the way up to the top of the mountain. But he was obedient. And then activity, we do something in worship with our whole body and mind and heart. So worship can be words, and it can be singing, and it can be physical activity. 
but it's your whole person. When you look at the idea of worship, again, it's not just what we tend to call worship when we're in a church service, you know? It's not just that. It, it is that, but it's so much more. But it's not just raising our hands and singing in a church service. We, we do use that word worship to label what happens before the preaching, and it's important for that to happen because that praise and worship time gets my mind and heart ready for what the preaching is supposed to do to change me. And so that's a very important part of a church service. But the Old Testament examples were not confined to a church service. I mean, it was just a daily thing. That Worship and sacrifice was a daily thing. Obedience was a daily thing. A life of worship is ongoing, constantly seeking to make sure that we're focusing on God through sacrifice, obedience, and activity. We worship because of who he is and because of what he does. We worship with our whole person. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, gave Old Testament instructions to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. In Luke chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus repeated the command, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Hmm. Sometimes that's the sacrifice, isn't it? Sometimes that's the obedience to love. Remember, Jesus told them at the Last Supper, keep my commandments, and this is the commandment, love. And so to be obedient to that means exercising joy through obedience and sacrifice of love when you don't feel it for that neighbor. We worship by ourselves and in community. So when I was talking about worshiping in a church service, that's the in community. That's, that's folks together worshiping. Individual worship honors God in all of your life at any given time. And community worship with a group of believers reminds us that we're in this together. We're accountable to each other. And we can work together to show salvation to the world because our community worship is even more magnificent. Um, it's, it, it's something that becomes way bigger than just the people raising their hands. It, it, it brings a spirit into the room that somebody who hasn't felt the Holy Ghost before sits up and takes notice and says, well, these people can't I'll be crazy in here. I mean, they're all doing this. It's not just one crazy person. This this whole place doing this. There's got to be something to it, right? And it, it shows salvation in a different way. Giving of our emotions, our physical strength, our intellect, and our lives is how we serve as witnesses. So that last bullet, 
the fill in the blank is witnesses. When you give your whole person, your emotions, the things that your body has to give, your mind, and every aspect of your life, you are a witness to the world of God's great love and sacrifice for mankind. And the reason why I think the Lord kind of poked me to, to look at how a Christian life is a life of joy through worship is that um, the obedience and the sacrifice, it, it doesn't feel joyful sometimes, y'all. It, it feels like an obligation, like somebody is going to think less of me if I don't do this or I'm going to do it because it's a habit or I'm going to do this because my mama taught me to do it this way and I don't know any other way. Those are the things that don't feel joyful. But when we put the idea of sacrifice with obedience and activity all together, that is getting us over that hump of, okay, it's just a habit, or okay, I really don't know if I can give this up. When you put it all together and you remind yourself of why you're doing it, because this is how I'm going to show how much I love God through my worship, then that's where the joy gets exercised. And it, it does become more joyful at the same time that it becomes more habitual <laughs> to, to worship that way. It's the same thing with our, our next subtopic, joy through prayer and meditation. Um, those are things that are very good habits to develop too. So when we pray, we're aligning ourselves with the voice of God and we're keeping our thoughts, emotions, and actions centered on Jesus working through us. The book Spiritual Disciplines recommends using the model of the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to do that tonight too. We'll use the Lord's Prayer as our model. For the things to address in prayer. Because it is directly from Jesus. The Lord's Prayer was Jesus speaking. The disciples had actually seen Jesus perform all kinds of miracles. But the Gospels don't record anywhere that the, that the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to do miracles. But it does record in Matthew that they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. They had heard Jesus pray. They had watched him pray at various times, and they recognized how powerful it was when he prayed. So when they said, Lord, teach us how to pray, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, this is how it went. This was his response. Jesus said, after this manner, therefore pray ye. And most of us have probably heard the Lord's Prayer enough times, and we can all read it together. I'd like us to do that, please. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So the book Spiritual Disciplines breaks out that prayer and says that it starts with recognizing who God is, our Father, which art in heaven. That's that recognition. Hallowed be thy name. That's praise and worship in a sense, that the way we often exercise worship in a church service. We're giving him glory, talking to him, saying, you are great. Your name is higher than any other. I'm going to praise your name. It's hallowed. It's precious. It's sacred. And then, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, is submission. That's when we say, okay, Lord, now I'm going to get myself out of the way and say, whatever is your will, that's what I want. Then we petition, we ask him, give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. That's not necessarily asking for a whole lot of stuff because daily bread, it, that, that's not a whole lot to carry, but it's enough for now. So I'm going to ask him for what I need for now And then forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, forgiveness. When we talked last week about freedom from judgment through forgiveness, that's not just that I am free from future judgment because I'm saved, but I'm also free from the burden of carrying grudges against other people. So I can forgive others because I have been forgiven. And that's, here it is right here again, the words of Jesus, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then finally, we're back to worship and praise again. I'm sorry, I I jumped to something and forgot about direction. We gotta ask him to not only give us what we need today, but show us what we're supposed to do in the future. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us where we're supposed to go. Please give us direction, God. And then we end in worship. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So then we're back to saying, you're above it all. You, you are sovereign and you always will be forever. So that, that time in prayer following this model is a way of getting us set up to, to focus on him and, and get to hear what he has to say to us. And that's, that opportunity for his spirit to come back in and work joy again. Remember, it's his joy, and we're going to have it because of the Holy Ghost. And when we pray, we're asking for our sins to be forgiven so that we can be clean and so that Holy Ghost can stay in us and can stay resident in us in a pure vessel. And then joy through meditation, we're going to define meditation as studying the word. Meditation is studying the word of God. Not emptying the mind like some religions or philosophies might teach. Not, um, um, and I'm not trying to make fun of it. 
it, but it's from the perspective of the reason that's taught is not to focus on God, but to make ourselves available to whatever force might be there. It, it just, you know, I'm not going to think about anything. I'm going to empty my mind. No, we're talking about filling our mind with God's word. We're talking about meditation as studying the word of God and filling our soul with God's truth. Meditation on God's word is regular and careful, taking in all of it and not just selecting what we already understand or what makes us feel good about ourselves, too. It's, it's reading the hard parts. It's reading the things that make you go, mm, I don't know if I did that right, Lord. I, I, I think you just um, called me out for something that I had forgotten I did. Because right there, there, there it is right there. It, the true meditation is studying all of it, soaking it in. It is more than memorization. Meditation is more than memorization. And memorization is good. I'm not saying to not memorize. Because when you hide his word in your heart, you, you, memorization is can be a part of that. It, it can be being able to recall those scriptures. But for you to meditate on it, you're actually trying to apply it. You're, you're trying to make yourself Christ-like because you take in his word and then your own words change because you have studied his word. You become more and more Christ-like because as you study his word more and more, you're seeing God's word and Jesus Christ is God, and so you're studying Jesus' word when you're studying God's word, and you're becoming more Christ-like as you take that in. Meditation on Scripture leads to applying the Scripture to daily life, and it's just those reminders that you can have sustaining joy. You'll, you'll see in his word that there's miracles that he's done, and you read about those miracles, and you're just like, if he did it then, he can do it again. And you're reminded of his promises. You, you study his word, you meditate on his promises. And, and it reminds you that if he hasn't done the miracle yet, he promised he would. And so you can't lose. <laughs> when we meditate and study his word, the joy will be reinforced because you're seeing the past and the future all in there. And it reminds you of how he is for us. He is for us. questions or am I staying on track okay oh and then my favorite part joy through suffering and waiting and the through in this instance is again in the middle of it's as you're walking through suffering and as you're waiting on the better things to come you still have joy this is not meaning to, to say that you're naive, that you're pretending that everything is okay all the time, that you're deceiving yourself or you're just not being honest about that there's a problem or, or that you aren't happy at this particular moment. Because guess what? 
everything is not okay all the time just because we're living a Christian life. Remember Last Supper, Jesus told them, here's your promise, here's your commandments. Pretty simple, but it's not always going to be easy. Another part of Jesus speaking to listeners when he had his ministry on earth is in the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew chapters 5 through 7 are all read because <laughs> Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and that includes the Beatitudes. That's that collection of scriptures that say, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. The Beatitudes are part of the Sermon on the Mount, but it goes farther than that. The entire sermon, chock full of instructions, straight from the mouth and heart of Jesus, and also contrasting examples from Jesus of blessing and trouble. Jesus didn't hesitate to say the good and the bad. It's all going to be a part of your life. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45, Jesus says that if you love your enemies... And you show that joy and exercise it towards people who may not deserve it. When you do that, it's that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. So, joy in the midst of suffering, we better figure out how to exercise it, how to, to figure out how to wait, and how to, how to use whatever is in the suffering to not get bitter, but to, to remind ourselves that God's still God, no matter what. This is my time of trouble, just or unjust. Sun rises on the evil and on the good. So right smack in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, hey, life isn't going to be perfect just because you're a child of God. But Jesus is also the one who said, your joy no man taketh from you in John 16, 22. So even in suffering and waiting, we can have joy and we can show that joy to others because that, again, is that witness that's that testimony that's going to make somebody sit up and say, what have they got? To be able to have joy and be real about the suffering, but still give God glory and, and still find hope and peace and show love. From the Spiritual Discipline book, the biblical perspective on suffering is that it should be an occasion for rejoicing not for questioning God or giving up hope. Wait, you're saying that the car wreck is a reason to rejoice. The sickness is a reason to rejoice. And not a reason to give up hope or to, to question God's plan. Well, here's why. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, tells us that tribulation or suffering 
creates patience or waiting. That's, that's the waiting. You, you have to figure out how to wait patiently. Patience creates experience, and experience creates hope. Paul is writing to the Romans, and he goes on to say that we shouldn't be ashamed to have that hope, that we know how to hope because we've already been through suffering and we have the experience of waiting for the miracles to come. And because he's done it before, he'll do it again. And so that's our hope. And we don't have to be ashamed of it. We don't have to think that we're being fake, that we're pretending, that we're Susie Sunshine and, and not being real about what it means to serve God. Um, when we rejoice or have joy in suffering or waiting, we really do have the hope because we know God has brought us through or he's brought others like us through and he'll do it again. Suffering and waiting for relief could come in all shapes or sizes. It could be a trial that's sent to test our faith. Um, sometimes I, I don't know that the trial I'm going through is really to test my faith. You know, I, I will choose to, to believe that and I will choose to say, okay, whatever's going on, Lord, obviously I need to learn something from it. So I'm going to trust you. And if I learn while I'm here on earth, then that's great. If I don't know the answer until I get to heaven, then okay. Not every trial is to test your faith. It's just human. I mean, it's just living on this earth. Sometimes trials are just rain on the just or the sun rising on the evil. But sometimes it really is to test our faith because the Bible says that through those tests, we get purified. It's like we're gold going through the fire and we're coming out pure at the end. Um, the suffering might be rejection from your loved ones that don't understand why you got baptized in Jesus' name and why you are excited to come to church and speak in tongues and why you want them to have that too. They might reject you and it feels like they're rejecting God in the process. Suffering might be betrayal or disappointment with those you love. God never lets us down, but people sure do. They sure do. The ones that you pour everything into can still let you down. Suffering and waiting could be sickness or weakness that God chooses not to heal. Now, that is borrowed straight from that book, but let's also just add something on the end of it that chooses, God chooses not to heal when we want him to or the way we want him to. Because I will tell you, I was 19 when my mother died of breast cancer. After she had already been healed of breast cancer once, she got a second type of breast cancer and died from it. So I know God healed her. That doesn't change. The fact that she died is not the way I wanted God to heal her the second time. But she got perfect healing. She will never have pain or sorrow again. It's just not, that's not what I wanted. I wanted God to heal her and let me still have her. You know, I, I wanted her to be there for all those things. And that was not the way God healed her. So the sickness or weakness that we're suffering through and waiting on that miracle when God 
doesn't do it the way we want, then we're going to have to find joy anyway. In any situation, Paul reminds us that suffering and waiting bring our reasons to rejoice because they are the reminders that God is the power. The excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So if everything got solved and we never had pain or trouble, we might be tempted to think we were doing it. But when we trust God and sacrifice and obey and we still have trouble, it's a reminder, the way Paul writes it, that God really is the only one with the power, not you. Paul understood that any earthly suffering is just that, earthly If it's earthly, it's not forever. It is temporary. Some of us have a longer temporary than others. Some of us only have a few years of temporary, and some of us have 100 years of temporary. But it's still just temporary. It's not forever. So joy and and happiness from earthly things is temporary. Suffering is also temporary because it's earthly. If that causes us to remember that our hope is only in the eternal, then we're still winning. That's that's what Paul is trying to say, is that the suffering is to remind you that these light and temporary trials are only for his glory. That there is no suffering where we're going. That's where our hope is. And what joy we'll feel knowing we have the heavenly promise because of salvation. All that the Christian life is about is waiting for heaven anyway. Occupy till he comes. I mean, honestly. So if we can't find joy in the waiting, then we can't really live a Christian life because we don't know when heaven's coming. We have to wait on it. It could come tomorrow. It could have come for us Sunday. I mean, we, we flipped and rolled. And we walked away. It wasn't our turn to go to heaven this past Sunday. But it could happen tomorrow for any one of us. Or it could happen for all of us left when the rapture happens. But we're still waiting any way you look at it. It is worth the wait. <laughs> Finding the joy in the waiting is knowing that what we're going to is worth the wait. And then I want to close with just reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. So even if now, for a time, for a season, you're in heaviness through all kind of trouble, you'll greatly rejoice that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, your faith is more precious than anything on earth like gold, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with 
joy unspeakable and full of glory. So the trial of faith is the hope in Jesus. We haven't seen him. We still love him. And because we love him, that's what brings the joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's a lot of places in the Bible that, that joy is written, that, that word joy appears. And it's kind of a mystery. It, it was hard for me to squeeze some stuff out of it because it, it's still very much my human nature to want to make it about skipping through the daisies and singing songs all day long. It, I mean, it really is. And it, the kind of joy that we're trying to dig into, it's going to seem maybe more like peace or more like contentment or more like um, reassurance. It's not always going to feel like giddy, excitement, joy, you know? So that, that word joy just really has a mysterious way of, of showing up in the scripture and showing up in your life. So I, I'm saying all that to say I don't feel like I did exactly the best job of explaining it because I still don't quite understand it all myself. But I think that when you know that the joy we're talking about is from the Holy Ghost because of the Holy Ghost, then you're going to show it to others through worship. You're going to exercise it for yourself with prayer and meditation, studying his word. And then it's going to sustain you in the midst of suffering and while you wait. That's what we're talking about. It comes from the Holy Ghost. And then you express it in worship. You hold on to it in prayer and meditation, and it holds on to you in suffering. And it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Anybody have questions or testimonies or comments? I appreciate you hanging with me. <laughs> Thank you all so much.